Greetings, buddies, and welcome back to another episode of My Life, Not Yours. Well, hello. This is my 25th episode, and I had a little bit of a gap, and there may be another gap, because it does take time to come up with the content for these casts. That being said, with the amazing feedback I am still getting and gaining new followers every week, I'm gonna keep going. And some of you have asked me, why did I start this podcast? I started it because I wanted to own my truth in life and progress forward with no regrets. Thanks for joining me on another episode of My Life, Not Yours. This is entitled Memorable Moments. And this first section I have to dedicate to some of the horrors that went on in 2001 in the United States of America. Some of you may remember, or not, as the case may be, that 9-11 happened. And I, it's funny, a few years later, I'm always thinking, 9-11? Well, it was the 9th, it was the 11th of September in 2001. They never say the year, so I kind of always forget when it was. But what prompted me to start thinking about this, not thinking about it rather, talking about it, is I was watching a programme on Channel 4, which is a broadcaster in the UK, and they are edgy, is probably the best word in terms of broadcasting TV. They're not standard. And I like the way they present things sometimes. So anyway, the other night they had decided they were going to give us a real insight into 9-11. And I do apologise if there are any US citizens listening in, because I do have a quite a good audience there. And you have been affected by this. I am going to discuss it a little bit so uh, you can fast forward or listen to what I have to say. So Channel 4 had this programme on the other night. And the difference with this, with all the different films and documentaries they've put out, is all the two-hour episode or whatever you want to call it focused on was people's footage and insight from the emergency services and stuff like that now it was really weird because it was on quite late obviously and i for one thought i'm not going to watch this there's been so many films about it i think everybody knows about the horrors of it and uh i was compelled to watch because it gave this countdown in the morning and we know that it was the most barbaric or one of the most barbaric acts of terrorism ever seen and the amount of people that lost their life but the live footage that people probably haven't seen before that was taken from people on the street people who lived in apartments who could see um, the world trade center you know people didn't really know what the twin towers were then but they do now and it was absolutely horrific i have never seen anything like this and watched it so intently i mean it <sighs> It was harrowing. If a plane crashes into a building that's got God knows how many floors on it, imagine you're stuck on the 101st floor. You've got firefighters looking up saying, how the fuck are we getting up there? And how are we rescuing them? A plane's sort of gone into the whole side. And I actually do remember on the news that time, because it was all playing out live, I was actually at a workshop with a company I was working for and we were at a famous cricket ground in the UK called The Oval. And somebody rushed in and said, a plane's just crashed into the World Trade Centre in America. And at first, I think people thought it might have been, you know, an accident or the planes. But when the second one went into the other tower, that was it. It was just awful. I remember it was awful. But um, I'm going to bring you back to the footage from people and from firefighters to wardens in the building trying to get people out. But remember, they can only get the people out under floor 90. I, I, I guess it's depressing. 
But I think for me, watching this documentary on Channel 4, it brought it all into perspective for me and it made it. It was raw and it was, you know, there was one couple. They were in their flat. I think they lived downtown in Manhattan. And she says, you know, I'm not going to do the accent because somebody's already cursed me out about my appalling accents. And she says to her partner, oh my God, oh my God, was that a person that just jumped? And you literally are seeing people jumping um, from this building. It, it was just fucking awful. Years ago, I used to have a real problem with death. And when I saw that, I thought, how would I have reacted apart from absolutely sheer terror? And I think I had a big appreciation for the fire services more than anything. Not the police, the fire services, because they're looking at this building thinking, how do we do it? And you get the recordings of some of the firemen that are on the 70th floor. They said there's a fire, there are people trapped. They're saying they don't know how they're going to get them down. So this is what was, I don't even want to say great about this documentary, but this is what brought it home for me, hearing their footage. And then the tower collapsed. And you see these um, disaster movies, which I actually like watching some of them, not like real life ones like this one, I have to say. But when that tower collapsed, the cloud of smoke, that then enveloped New York City was insane. The ash. I mean, people were running for their lives. They've showed this because someone's filming it. You know, you always get the warped fuckers out there on the road that just, you know, you could be losing your life, your last breath and someone's filming it. But they were doing it. I've never seen anything like it. I shed a tear. I shed a tear and I'd like to actually dedicate this whole episode to those people that lost their life in 2001 because it was three terrorist attacks in America. I remember the Pentagon got hit as well and uh, in DC. I think for me as well, it was even more poignant because as I said to you before, I was at a workshop for this place I was um, working at at the time and I remember saying in response to this guy announcing the hit on the Twin Towers I said I'm supposed to be flying out in three weeks time I'm going to see an aunt that I'd never met before and it was one of those things my aunt works at NYPD and I thought I've got to go I want to meet them I think that was the first time. No, it wasn't. It may have been the second time. I'm lying. But because she worked for NYPD, I wanted to go out and see her. And so um, I didn't even know if the flights would be cancelled or anything like that. But I went and she was fine. I phoned her that day to see if she was okay because I didn't know she was on duty. But she just said she was on duty. But because they were on the floor, they didn't really get affected. It was people obviously in the building. It was a mass terror attack. And uh, she said, still come if you want to. And I thought, do I? And you know, when you're that young and your thought is you've, you're excited. Because I think when I first, I, I, you know, I'm trying to remember if that was the first time I met her. And maybe it was. And I was so excited about meeting this new blood family. I, I think I did. I, I definitely thought I'm going. And it wasn't the wrong decision by any stretch of the imagination, but it was eerie. And my mum lives in Brooklyn, uh, my mum, my aunt lives in Brooklyn. And uh, we went down to the area where the World Trade Centre was, which they'd, I think it was literally in three or four weeks afterwards that I went, they'd obviously cleaned up all the ash and everything. But to see where these towers were... And the amount of flowers, I've never seen so many flowers. You know, people are known to go to United States to shop from the UK or, or whatever, especially New York. And I did shop a lot because there was no one around. But it was also, I wish I'd been doing podcasts then, but then I think it would have been too much like reporting. I talked to the shopkeepers and, and they were just, I don't, I don't know, I can't explain it. I mean, I didn't really do much on that trip. I've since been back to America quite a lot. I mean, I've, I've been out there a lot. You know, you go to the site of the memorial 
And it was so good they put it up, but I guess I can never understand, you know, Hong Kong, Japan, all these places that have, have massively high buildings like that. And people who want to stay in apartment blocks on the fucking 80th floor and because of the views and they're high up, I just, it doesn't interest me at all. And I guess because I always think about things like, well, the lift breakdown and what if something happens? And it was quite funny watching the documentary where these people, even though everybody realised when the, the plane went into the second one and you saw it, I think we all saw it on the news anyway, but when you see it from personal footage that was there, <clears throat> you see the fear of people in their apartment block saying, we got to leave, we got to leave, we got to get out. <laughs> and this one friend of this girl said, and where are you going exactly? She said, I don't know, we just got to get out. And to be fair, all the residences within a one mile radius were getting evacuated. It was just scary. And then there were these two girls, if that was 20 odd years, ago it was 2001 right so they must have been I think they're 31 so they must have been in college or something like that or just finishing and starting their jobs or something and they said they've been friends ever since because they went through so much counselling I believe they were that close to see everything and they've been through so much counselling and they just said look no one's ever going to split it up boyfriend pets you name it because we are the only ones that understand what we both went through on that day and I think that sums up that passage but um I just think about the psychological impact for all of those who lost people and then um, just thinking about how horrible this world is, which is linked to Afghanistan really at the moment. You know, that could be mass genocide. I mean, what is going on, people? What are we doing? We've got climate change issues. We've got people fleeing a country because if they don't, they could die. Women are treated like shit. And if people don't escape within the next few days, I'm making this podcast on the 25th of August. Okay, they've got less than six days to get out and then it all changes. I mean, this is insane. But look, it's sounding very pessimistic and really sad, this podcast. So I'm going to bring it up a little bit. I'm going to bring the mood up. Just briefly, you know, I'm a sports nut and we've got the Paralympics. Um, again, the same broadcaster who brought you that documentary about 9-11 is the sponsor. The opening ceremony was yesterday. And I do hope that people will sort of tune in for the Paralympics because it's really important. Yeah, so I'm intrigued and I will be watching some of it because we have some great Paralympians from the UK. So that's just a shout out. Don't forget it's the Paralympics for another two weeks. But I've got something really funny to tell you about. And it's all about my relationship with furry friends. I am the modern day Dr. Fucking Doolittle. Okay. When I was younger, I realised that not only did I have allergies in terms of hay fever, I realised I was allergic to hair. The furry animal type of hair. And one set of my foster parents had this pony in their paddock, <laughs> in their paddock. And uh, I was desperate to have a, a ride on this, um, on this horse. Keep it clean. A horse, I said. Anyway, got on this horse. Next thing you know, I got off, started sniffing, sneezing. It wasn't a great experience, by the way, on this horse. I didn't like the, the thought was something that was alive moving between, I don't know, under my, <laughs> between my legs. It was just really weird. It was a re really weird sensation being on the horse. But, and plus I couldn't really get my leg over. This is all sounding really smutty, isn't it? But I couldn't get my leg over the horse. Someone had to get my bloody feet in the stirrups and all this kind of stuff. And then it kept having all this frothy stuff around its mouth and 
shaking its head and somebody was saying, just relax, Ting, just relax, don't pull too hard on the reins. And I'm like, I fucking hate this. Anyway, when the jiggity horse ride had finished, which was all of about 10 minutes because I couldn't handle it, and my ass was really sore. I was only about uh, eight, nine, something like that. Eight, nine, something like that. And uh, I got off. I reckon the reaction happened within two minutes. I rubbed my eyes. Next thing you know, someone said, what is happening to your eyes? They were like golf balls within minutes and I couldn't stop sneezing. It was horrendous, the coughing. Someone deduced, oh, she's allergic to horse hair. That wasn't the only thing. They had a cat. The cat, I was stroking it. This was a couple of days, not all in the same day. We just knew that I was allergic to animals. Stroking this cat, rubbing my eyes. Next thing you know, I'm just sneezing. It always started with a snuffle and the eyes itching. So not to bore you any longer, I have lived in places where the animals have been treated like humans. And I've always thought, I can't be around these things because they make me sneeze cough and holler and plus I had a bit of a bad experience apart from being allergic to them where there was one set of foster parents that made me sleep with their racing dogs which were called whippets because I'd been naughty so you imagine that not only am I allergic to fucking animals I'm made to sleep with them for one night and I think it was the most horrendous experience that people can do to a child if I'm honest apart from sexual abuse and it was abuse so that's the abuse that I had I slept with the animals and I think it was just I do remember wetting myself because I was just it was so scary and it was just horrible and cold they didn't make me eat the food bonus but yeah moving forward into later years I've gone into people's houses that have had um furry animals and they always seem to like a cat will come and weave in and out of my legs and meow and want a stroke and I've always avoided it and then I got to know my neighbours a little bit more so I've been living where I am since 2002 and these neighbours are really nice but during lockdown I got to really know them I've spoken about this before anyway they always went on about their cat Daisy and because our fence that divides our home had had blown down Daisy would come bounding over into my side of the garden and and I actually thought she's quite sweet so I'd always seen that when my neighbours went away they had someone who would come in and feed their cats because the relationship that we had built during lockdown they said to me one day Tina do you think you would feed Daisy for us and she'd had kittens as well at this point so oh no she hadn't had kittens it was just her I thought oh okay and the first thing I didn't think about my allergies or anything like that I just thought the trust they want me to come into their house and feed their cat which is part of their family they don't have children by the way I just thought it was quite nice I did it. I took my antihistamine. I didn't really stroke her too much, but she had her food. But there was a connection. And I thought, I knew the times that I had to go in and feed her. And I did it. And when they came back, they were really grateful. And they just said, oh my God, sometimes she can be a bit hissy, but you seem to be like the cat whisperer. She's really calm. And I thought, ooh, I was quite excited about that. And I think because I'd never understood the love for pets... I did enjoy films like, there was a fantastic film I watched when I was younger called The Incredible Journey, which is about, I think it was a bulldog called Buster, it's white and limps. And then there was an Alsatian and there was a cat. And the family had gone away and uh, these guys, or they'd forgotten the cats or, or forgotten the pets. And these it's all about these animals making this journey through the wilds and protecting each other. And I remember it used to, to really make me cry. I suddenly got this appreciation for 
people and their pets. And then I had another experience with some other friends who had two, I don't know if it's pedigree, but French bulldogs called Winston and Churchill and a cat called Cookie and a rabbit. Can't remember what the rabbit's called, but I didn't have to deal with that. So when I went round to their house for the first time, I thought, oh my God, I'm going to have to take an antihistamine because I was staying there. And... (laughs) The fact their dogs are called Winston Churchill had me in stitches, but they were lovely. And um, aside from the doggy smell, which I can't stand, when we went out for a walk with them, people would stop and ask about these dogs. And, you know, my friend was saying, yeah, Winston and Churchill, they'd sit obediently and have a little grunt. And I thought, wow, I would sit in the garden and I'd stroke them, but then I'd have to go in and wash my hands. But the antihistamine works a treat for me, right? Just the other week, they were going away And they asked if I could look after the animals just to feed them and and stuff. So I thought, yeah, I will actually. And I haven't got children and I did feel really responsible for these pets. I put their food out. I had clear instructions and it was all very easy. But I really got it really got me thinking about how people really do get into their animals and how they are part of the family, because I could never get it before. I never got when people really upset that they'd lost the cat and they're burying it. And uh, I, I just didn't get it. But I do now, I guess. And who knows, I might start up a new service, a dog walking service or something like that. But I don't think I can handle picking up the poop. And I do want, I do remember as well that um, this guy that lays my floors and he's a fantastic kind of joiner. And when I first met him, he used to go on about Poppy. And I thought he was talking about his girlfriend, you know, but... (laughs) on about his dog and I thought wow and listen poppy means everything to this man everything so yeah I thought it was his woman and it was his dog my final thought on furry friends my appreciation for a pet's existence has grown it wasn't there before but it is now and that's saying a dog is a man's best friend albeit a little bit sexist I think this statement holds more weight for me than ever before especially having seen Winston and Churchill the two French bulldogs look at me adoringly when I left them well they peed themselves with excitement when I came to <laughs> came into the room couldn't get the balance right I don't think I'm going to rush to buy a pedigree pet or even a pet for that matter but I do believe they are a welcome addition to the family and if you think about what they can bring whether it's a guard dog whether it's a dog for people with visual impairments yeah they carry some weight but um if you can hack the expense i mean shit vets bills food all of that stuff the constant pet smell which is not for me i'm not gonna lie the cleaning and if you're not allergic to them go get a pet. I do know of one of my friends in the States. She's had so many disastrous relationships with men. She bought a bloody dog. I'll leave that one right there. So just a few more bits from me for this memorable encounter episode is the weather in the UK at the moment. For fuck's sake, it's bipolar. And I do apologise for anybody who is bipolar because you've got a good friend in the British weather. I have no idea how to dress. The evening's already are autumnal. My washing on the line is getting covered in rain from the Sahara and I find putting my washing on the line very cathartic in the summer. And I remember when I was in Jamaica and a friend said, you constantly wash just to hang it out, don't you? But look, if you haven't got the space to hang your washing out because you're in an apartment or something like that, let me tell you, when you put your washing outside, it smells differently and I bloody love it. But with our weather, within one hour, it could be raining, your clothes are drenched and I'm just pissed. 
pissed. What I believe has happened with this year in terms of the weather, not only climate change, but because people have been locked up for most of last year, they don't care about the weather. And they're just out in it. I'm not saying I'm not out, but it's really getting on my nerves because I'm sitting in my room at the moment. It is nine o'clock and it's chilly. And finally, I just want to go on about the power of the law of attractions. For all of you that may have listened to some episodes where we talk about the law of attraction, which is you ask for something, you believe that it's going to come around. I'm not saying it's going to land on your plate in five minutes and then you receive. It's getting into yourself spiritually. It's really believing about the universe, bringing about what you want want. Let me tell you something. For months, I set this goal about increasing my revenue for my business and getting you clients. And I made it quite a smart goal. You know, it was specific. I gave a time to it. I wanted to get new clients by the end of September. And because of what everybody had gone through with bloody COVID, it was even more important to me. So I'd lost clients at the beginning of COVID. I kept one big one going. So every morning in my ritual, I would read this goal. I'm committed to blah, 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 with unwavering faith that I will get more clients to, to, uh, sorry, I will get more clients by the end of September. Every morning I'd read the same goal and maybe another two. I I focus on only a couple at any one time. And cut long story short, a friend had mentioned something to me and I said, nah, that's not really right. Not at this time. And um, I kept thinking about it. I kept coming back to my goal. And then I get this phone call out of this blue. Oh my God, we desperately need somebody. And has to be somebody like you to come in and help us with this humongous project until Christmas. Can you start in four days time and meet the global president of this company to just get his sign off? So I have been absolutely manic for the last week and just, you know, getting used to another new client and they're a biggie. And I just feel so excited. And I just wanted to share that with you that sometimes we get so bogged down with life and nothing's going right. And you just have to have some kind of faith and just keep believing that good things will come around. And I feel desperately excited. And what has happened is all this stuff that I put into play when I haven't been so busy, like making time for myself, doing my exercise. I mean, the walks have dropped off and I've got to pick those up because that's my time when I listen to other podcasts and get inspiration. But when you have that diary that's getting packed with meetings all day, I make sure I put in a few moments of busy. So I can't have somebody put something in my diary because I need my me time, right? It's been exciting and I feel that I'm vibing at 500 hertz right now. And so I'm going to leave you with my final thought for the day. You never know what tomorrow brings. And this really is dedicated to 2001 and people who lost their lives. I think we should all take a moment to remember those who did because Channel 4 dared to aid the unseen. And I feel honoured that I have worked with Channel 4 on a few occasions and that they brought this to us as painful as it is. It's 20 years ago. And just remember that if you do believe stuff is going to happen, it will. And with that, I'm going to sign off until the next one. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of My Life Not Yours. It would mean the world to me if you could head over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, rate and leave me a review. You can also spread the love and help grow my potty by sharing the link provided in my show notes. Until next time, take care.